Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing song for the dreaming of the world That we may dream as one With every voice, with every song We will move this world along You've got a special treat coming your way today for Spirit in Action. Although I love my time with you each week, there are many other people I'd love for you to get to know who can sit in my chair and do what I do, and maybe even do it better. One of them is a person I first had on my show back in 2007, Peterson Toscano. Peterson is sitting in for me today sharing his latest and a long-running and deeply felt passion concerning climate change. You can hear podcasts of his Citizens Climate Radio direct and full length, but we also wanted to share his thought, wit, creativity, and humor among the Norton Spirit Radio Network as well. You can hear Peterson Toscano every three months here on Spirit in Action, and I'll be back to host next week. Over to you, Peterson. Hello, and welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Peterson Toscano. I am thrilled to guest host today's program. Now, in addition to being a comic, a Bible scholar, and a human rights advocate, I also host Citizens Climate Radio. In that program, I look at climate change from some pretty weird angles, including comedy and storytelling. Yeah, I realize climate change is a serious issue, but on my show, we never try to scare the snot out of anyone. Rather, we explore solutions. I highlight people's stories, and we also use art to help make sense of our rapidly changing world. I produce the program monthly for Citizens Climate Education. So I was thinking that for our time together today, I wanted to introduce you to some women who have recently appeared on the program. In this episode, you will meet singer-songwriter Ashley Mazanik. Ashley has a new album called Let's Talk About the Weather. You'll get to hear some of it. With upbeat and moving, infectious melodies, Ashley takes on issues related to climate change, including immigration. What I particularly like about Ashley is that her call to action is filled with hope, humor, and creativity. Also joining us today is Dr. Natasha Dejeanette from the American Health Association. Dr. Dejeanette outlines for us some of the health risks associated with a changing planet, including mental health risks. She shares why she sees an excellent opportunity for community building at this time of climate change. And Lillis Mellon-Guignard, a poet and a parent, considers warmer winters and what that means for her children. But first, I want you to hear a conversation I had only six days after the U.S. presidential election. I was in Washington, D.C., speaking with lawmakers about climate solutions. I also got to speak with a climate communication expert who had expert advice on how to speak with Republicans and conservatives about climate change. 
Meet Chandler Green. Chandler is a graduate student at American University researching strategic communications. She's also actively involved in the Put a Price on It campaign. We talk climate communications, what is working, what's new, and how to engage those who are not yet on board. People struggle with climate change. A lot of people don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a recent study from Yale that says that even people who are concerned about climate change are not talking to their family and friends. Why do you think that is? Yeah, so you're referring to the climate silence. Yeah, the spiral. Which is, yeah, the, the spiral, spiral of, of silence. climate silence. Yeah. Yeah. And that was very apparent in this election. I mean, climate change rarely came, to, uh, came up. And I think one of the big problems is people, well, there's two problems. There's a, there's a psychological issue, and people don't perceive climate change as really personally affecting them. And then there's the partisan divide. You know, if you're a Republican and you speak out about climate change, you're kind of going against your party. People are really scared to talk about climate change, depending on on your political ideology. And what are you discovering in your own research and your studies as as a master's student? I am studying strategic communication, and I'm focusing on climate change. How do we improve climate change communication? And I'm actually working on a theory paper looking into how you communicate social norms regarding climate change. A lot of research has focused on framing. Let's make an argument about climate change from a public health frame. Like, if we act on climate change, it's going to make us healthier, we're going to have less pollutants in the air, that sort of thing. What I'm looking at is, how do we communicate that most people care about climate change? How do we overcome the silence? One of the big messaging techniques is to say, over half of Republicans and Democrats, both of them, you know, regardless of party, support renewable energy research. Over half of Republicans and Democrats support regulating CO2 as a pollutant. Those are the kind of messages that I'm looking into, and I haven't finished my paper yet, so I can't tell you (laughs) if it is truly more effective than framing, but I think overall we need to try as many different strategies as possible. So what do you think has been effective the past three or four years in, in getting people curious and engaged? I think one of the biggest things, and especially moving forward is finding powerful messengers. And I think one of the most powerful messengers really is any Republican. I mean, cause that's, <laughs> and I don't want to, and I don't say that is uh, in a, uh, in a mean way, but I think it's just, it's really, it goes against the norm for someone on the other side to come out and to say, you know, yes, I am a conservative, I identify with this party, but I recognize climate change as a real threat. And I think part of the uh, part of a way to overcome that is really making an economic argument for climate change, which of course plays into the put a price on it campaign. We need to regulate CO2 as a pollutant. Some people may react to that because they say, well, that's a very conservative approach. Mm-hmm. How can you get progressives and liberals on board with put a price on it? I think it's easier to get progressives on board because they already um, they already have very strong pro-environmental beliefs. They already want to do something. The great thing about put a price on it, I think, is that it really is bipartisan. So we're going to address climate change, but it can also solve what's currently a market failure. 
and that CO2 has all these social costs that aren't accounted for. So it's polluting our air, it's polluting our water. We have these impacts from climate change. We as a society are picking up the tab for those costs. So we can really look at both parties and say this is a solution that addresses a long-term problem and a short-term problem in terms of the costs that it's imposing right now. So what I think I'm hearing more and more from climate communication experts like like you is that we need to talk about climate change but not necessarily say the words climate change. Yeah, that's that's something I, I struggle with as well because I think a lot of times when you come out front and you say climate change, people kind of close their ears and it's like this is this seems like it's coming from the left. And so I think moving forward and especially in these next four years, we have to find a way to talk about this issue in the most neutral and bipartisan way as possible. And, you know, that's it's going to be hard for me because, of course, I want to begin my conversation with climate change. But I think we need to begin our conversation with this is our future. We want a healthy and prosperous future. And this is what we're going to have to do to ensure that. Lots of people listen who are trying to find that silver bullet. Like, what's the one thing I can say that will get people engaged? And I think for too long, we've wasted a lot of our time trying to convince doubters, trying to convert people to believe something. And I think that there are so many people who actually say they are concerned about climate change, but they're really not doing anything about mm. it. So to hit that audience, the ones who, yeah, climate change is really happening. It's a problem. It's terrible. How do you get them to the next step? There are ways to act on climate change where you don't have to make what I think many people consider personal sacrifices. So, so, so much of messaging is directed towards, okay, these are the individual actions you can take. You can eat less red meat, like you should buy a hybrid. And I think people look at that as, well, that's a personal sacrifice. Like, yes, I care about our future and I care about climate, but like, I don't want to give that up. So we have to instill this belief that if we take collective action, that it will have an outcome. And so I think the biggest thing that we can do, and it's and it's absolutely a challenge, is to get people to talk to their congressmen, talk to their representatives, try to get this grassroots support for for policies. Like I think that's the biggest the biggest thing moving forward. But I I recognize that it's gonna be a challenge to motivate people to do that. What I love about your campaign is the title. It doesn't have climate in it, it doesn't have crisis, it doesn't have all those scary words, and it's a wonderful hashtag. Put a price on mm-hmm. it. And I think it's very clever that that's what you all came up with because I think it's something that will stick in people's heads and, and yeah. definitely has the ability to, to spread. Yeah, and the, and the great thing is that it's, it's attached with the show Years of Living Dangerously, which I think is a great communication tactic because it's all about storytelling. And they're, they're not coming in and saying, oh my gosh, climate change is so scary. You know, so many narratives are like that. But they're really, they're taking sort of an investigative approach with, you know, come along on the story. Let's go see what's happening at the Great Barrier Reef. Let's go see what's happening in the American heartland. And then they're not only giving you these stories, but they're also giving you the solution with put a price on it. And they do a third thing. They have a celebrity involved yes. because mm-hmm. we are so celebrity obsessed. Yes. It's like, oh, I don't know. oh wait, so-and-so's on it? Oh, yeah, David say. Letterman, what? Yeah, like... what, what words of uh, wisdom and or encouragement do you have for people who are concerned, but suddenly because of the outcome of the election, they feel defeated before they even go any further? Mm-hmm. What do you got for them? Yeah, well, I say I... 
absolutely feel for them. I'm in the same place, but what's giving me strength is the younger generation, my generation of millennials. I think that across the board, we identify with social issues and environmental issues, and we want to do something. We're not as divided as the current parties that are in office right now. So really look to young people and really try to unify the people around you. We have to work across these party lines to get anything done. This can't be just a Democrat liberal issue. Preach. <laughs> Thank you so much for being All on right. the show. Thank you. I'm really grateful that I got to speak with Chandler Green. Now, Chandler makes it clear conservative people who are dismissive or doubtful of climate change need to hear from their own. And that means in the USA, Republican climate leaders need to stand up and voice their concerns about carbon pollution and its negative effects. Well, good news. That has actually been happening. Over a year ago now, a group of 12 Republican members of Congress signed on to the Gibson Resolution. As of this date, that number has grown to at least 15. And the resolution will be reintroduced in the 2017 Congress. Now, what's brilliant about this historic document, and it is historic, is that it uses conservative language and values to press the moral case to address carbon pollution that causes danger to all our lives and livelihoods. So I've asked Elke Arneson, a millennial, on a gap year to work on climate solutions to read for us the Gibson Resolution so that you can hear it for yourself. It's good news. Resolution Expressing the commitment of the House of Representatives to conservative environmental stewardship. Whereas it is a conservative principle to protect, conserve, and be good stewards of our environment, responsibly plan for all market factors, and base our policy decisions in science and quantifiable facts on the ground. Whereas prudent, fact-based stewardship of our economy and our environment is a critical responsibility for all Americans in order to ensure that we preserve our great nation for future generations. Whereas there has been a marked increase in extreme weather events across the United States, including more frequent heat waves, extreme precipitation, wildfires, and water scarcity. Whereas this has had noticeable negative impacts that are expected to worsen in every region of the United States and its territories, including, among other significant weather events and environmental disruptions, longer and hotter heat waves, more severe storms, worsening flood and drought cycles, growing invasive species and insect problems, threatened native plant and wildlife populations, rising sea levels, and when combined with a lack of proper forest management, increased wildfire risk. Whereas, increased pollutants and other factors contribute to local, regional, and national environmental and human health impacts, including increased mercury in the fish we eat, elevated asthma attacks in our children, 
acid rain, smog, degraded water quality, urban heat islands, and rapid stormwater runoff that leads to costly infrastructure projects. Whereas the 2014 Quadrennial Defense Review states that the effects of a changing climate are threat multipliers that will aggravate stressors abroad such as poverty, environmental degradation, political instability, and social tensions. Whereas, if left unaddressed, the consequences of a changing climate have the potential to adversely impact all Americans, hitting vulnerable populations hardest, harming productivity in key economic sectors such as construction, agriculture, and tourism, saddling future generations with costly economic and environmental burdens, and imposing additional costs on state and federal budgets that will further add to the long-term fiscal challenges that we face as a nation. Whereas, any efforts to mitigate the risks of, prepare for, or otherwise address our changing climate and its effects should not constrain the United States economy, especially in regards to global competitiveness. And, whereas, there is increasing recognition that we can, and must, take meaningful and responsible action now to address this issue. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the House of Representatives commits to working constructively using our tradition of American ingenuity, innovation, and exceptionalism to create and support economically viable and broadly supportive private and public solutions to study and address the causes and effects of measured changes to our global and regional climates, including mitigation efforts and efforts to balance human activities that have been found to have an impact. Thank you, Elke, for reading the Gibson Resolution. Although it may sound wonky with all that formal congressional language, what is brilliant about the resolution is that it gives conservatives a template to consider and talk about climate change in their own terms. And as Chandler Green reminds us, at least in the U.S., we need to have more and more Republicans speaking out about our changing climate. Chandler and Elke are part of a growing campus movement called Put a Price on It. You can find out more and connect with Tom Erb, the field organizer, by visiting theclimatesolution.com. That's theclimatesolution.com. On Twitter, look for hashtag Put a Price on It. Now it is time for the Art House. Joining us once again in the art house is poet and environmentalist Lillis Mellon Ginyard. In episode two, Lillis shared with us the poem Darkness about raising children in the time of climate change. She is back with a poem about snow. Well, actually, the lack of snow. She starts by telling us about her poem Evergreen and about the role of the poet in the time of climate change. I really think that art has a role in helping us continue to relate and also reconnect because we're disconnected from nature. And we have to love this planet and we have to love the fact that we are animals on a planet and the amazing abundance and fragility and regenerative processes and everything, good and bad, about the planet. 
I think a lot about what's the poet's role in helping us imagine this. You know, if we can imagine we're in the future and a good future that's different, but good, looking back, then suddenly lots of things are possible. And I've been wondering, you know, so what's the poet's role? What's the poet's role? And also about faith and we, we talk about forgiveness. So whether it's in terms of forgiving ourselves for people of faith or secular, it's still about forgiveness if you're going to move on, not being paralyzed. So Evergreen appeared recently in Patterson Literary Review. It begins with an epigraph from a poem Monday by Billy Collins, which said, And the poets are at their windows because it is their job for which they are paid nothing every Friday afternoon. Evergreen. The day after Christmas 2006, and nowhere in the lower 48 is below 30 degrees Fahrenheit, except, my husband reports, a spot in Maine. I can be upbeat. Children in northern climes with new bikes are out riding them, spinning circles and circles. But how can I ignore those tykes who stand on porches holding sleds, their hats in their hands? Really, it is not today that worries me. An unremarkable gray without threat or promise. Same birds at the feeder. Neither does tomorrow. A word my son knows only means not now, but some vague future. How will any child believe in a jolly giver of gifts wearing a fur coat by a fire at the icy top of the world once the glaciers are puddles in our textbooks? Regardless, the poets will be at their windows finding new images. Maybe something a pretty shade of green to compare the sky to. Pretty if we can just divorce memory from emotion and approach the new dawn, whatever its color, with the heart of a child on Christmas Eve who, looking back, knows he could have let go of the cat's tail sooner, feels bad that she busted her brother's favorite train, yet hopes a larger forgiveness presides. Yes, we poets will always be at our windows, except when at our children's bedsides, singing, shushing, singing. Thank you, Lillis Mellon-Ginyard, for reading your poem, Evergreen. If you want to discover more of Lillis's writing, visit her blog, A Tent of One's Own, tentofonesown.com. No caps, no spaces, tentofonesown.com. She is currently writing a creative nonfiction book about women outdoors for Texas A&M Press. Also check out her award-winning short book of poetry, Young at the Time of Letting Go, which is available through Evening Street Press.
you've just joined us, you are listening to Spirit in Action. My name is Peterson Toscano, and I'm your guest host. Now, one of the questions I get asked a lot from people is, okay, so climate change is serious, we need to do something about it, but what can we do? And when people feel helpless and hopeless, well, then of course, they shut down. And there are actually some very important things that we can do to take on climate change. And some of them are very simple and you can start right now. And I'm not talking about changing light bulbs and taking shorter showers. Sure, those things are good. But beyond that, here's what you can do. One of the first things and most important things is to learn about climate change. I mean, a lot of people know the basic science of climate change, um, but many stories that they read are really stories about people who are dismissive of climate change. The problem with that is that we just don't go very far after reading that. We are self-satisfied and we get stuck. And so one of the things we need to do is push ourselves further. And one way to do this is to think about something that you're already passionate about. It could be coffee, it could be women's rights, it could be homelessness, it could be pets. And then ask the question, how does climate change affect this thing? Learn about that. Then share what you have found with other people. By doing this, you are breaking the collective silence, which is so essential, particularly here in America, because we need people who are informed and then engaged in addressing climate change. And when people learn that their pet is affected by climate change, well, they may be more moved to act than when they hear about polar bears. Everyone has something they're passionate about. And that's the thing about climate change. It affects everything we care about people already have skin in the game so it's just a matter of trying to help them figure out where that is you're listening to spirit in action and we are talking about climate change coming up next in the program we have some lively original music from a woman on a climate mission also you will find out some of the health risks we face as the climate warms discover how taking these risks on can address inequality and injustice. As you just heard Peterson Toscano say, he's sitting in for me, Mark Helps Meet, today for Spirit in Action, which is a Northern Spirit Radio production. Type in northernspiritradio.org to get a good look at and listen to our 11 and a half years of programs. Find links to our guests, including those Peterson is talking to for today's program and more info about them. Find the stations where we're broadcast and much more. And make our communications two-way by posting a comment when you visit. Let us know your reaction to the great stuff that Peterson Toscano is sharing with you while I take the day off. There's also a donate button, so click and offer us a helping hand. We can't do this without your help. But higher up on my wish list still is that you actively support your local community radio station, bringing to you local voice and power so very, very much needed. Start there. 
Right now, we're headed back to today's guest host, Peterson Toscano, and his rich assortment of guests from Citizens Climate Radio. Hello and welcome back. You are listening to Spirit in Action, and we are talking about climate change. And now, I am thrilled to introduce you to Dr. Natasha Dejanet. I sat down with Natasha Dejanet, a policy analyst who looks at environmental health. In this conversation, we talk about health and climate, including mental health issues stirred up during extreme weather. Natasha reveals the very real health risks we face on a changing planet. She also explains how she sees positive opportunities. Natasha works out of Washington, D.C. for the American Public Health Association. I met her in June at the Citizens Climate International Conference. I began our interview by asking why she came to the conference. because APHA wants to help people understand the connections between climate change and health. The face of climate change has largely been the polar bear, and we've got to get beyond the polar bear. That's important. Don't get me wrong. The polar bear and the impacts on the polar bear and nature are quite important, but those impacts also impact human health, particularly our vulnerable populations, our children, our elderly. Those that contribute the least towards climate change are those that are impacted the greatest by it. So we've got to be the voice for those vulnerable populations and all populations. So there's been a lot of white polar bear power and privilege that we need to address. Um, (laughs) So, you know, like I think a lot of people, they hear climate change, they do think of polar bears, or they think of scientists, or they think of political debate, but they don't typically think of health issues. Exactly. So talk a little bit about some of these health issues in climate change. Well, there are many health impacts of climate change. Unfortunately, we can start with air quality impacts. That's uh, um, a large deal coming out of climate change. Uh, With climate change, we'll have more air pollution. We're also going to have longer and possibly more potent pollen seasons. So this is going to expose us to more allergens, triggering more allergies and asthma. Um, And that particularly will affect our children at greater um, risk than our adults. There are also impacts on extreme weather. We're emitting more CO2. This is trapping heat towards the Earth's surface, and this is causing the warmer temperature, but this is also causing more energy to be trapped, and this is what's causing our increases in storms and severe weather. So with this comes extreme rainfall, and this leads to flooding. This causes injuries and illness, but also can contribute to the spread of infectious diseases um, through waterborne transmission. So we've got the flooding, then we have increased storms. So you see things like Superstorm Sandy, and you see Hurricane Katrina, and these extreme storms that are causing extreme destruction and devastation, and that also causes injury and illness. And I also want people to take time to focus on the mental illness impacts there. So people are getting displaced from their homes. People are dealing with anxieties and post-traumatic stress associated with the what happens during these storms. So that's another important um, health outcome that comes out of this. So we've got these extreme storms. We've got um, 
air quality impacts, we also have increases in vector-borne diseases. Um, and that's going to be particularly important as we go into this summer with the threat of Zika virus. But there's already been a large threat of viruses going on. In Maine, in 20 years ago, they only had about a dozen cases of Lyme disease. Now they have over 1,100 cases of Lyme disease. Well, that was actually in 2012. It's likely gone up since then. The reason being is that Maine now has an environment that's hospitable to these um, insects and vectors, um, ticks in particular carrying Lyme disease, but it's West Nile virus in New York. It's not just Lyme disease, it's not just West Nile disease, and it's not only going to be Zika. There are so many health impacts of climate change. You know, the insect thing and the pollen wear me out because I, I'm, you know, I'm not a super nature kind of guy, but I mm-hmm. do. Like in the other, like about a month, two months ago, it was still spring. I wanted to have a little Walt Whitman moment out in the woods and sort of lay out on the grass. Mm-hmm. And my my seasonal allergies were acting up, mm-hmm. and then I was like terrified that like a tick would bite me. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? Forget this. Yeah. And I went back in the car. And <laughs> it's it's really it's unfortunate that. We can't enjoy nature the way we once wanted to, whether it's that nature is being destructed and that nature doesn't look the way it once did. The coral reef color has changed. The Arizona River is drying up, for example. You know, we we can't enjoy nature the way we once wanted to, and then we're attacked by vectors in the process. It's, It's really unfortunate. And the other large health contributor for climate change is extreme heat. And that's what people seem to be very familiar with, the extreme heat. But it cannot be taken lightly. Heat strokes can actually lead to death if untreated. 2015, no, 2014 might have been the warmest on record. Then came 2015, the warmest on record. Now we're um, into 2016, and um, heat waves and heat-related illnesses will be something that the public health community and the greater community at large needs to be prepared for so that we can be more resilient and be able to adapt to the health effects of climate change. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, in these extreme heat events, it's the, the most vulnerable are the very youngest and exactly. the oldest. Exactly. Very young and very oldest. And then you also have to consider people um, that are socioeconomically disadvantaged. So they may not have air conditioning. Um, and air conditioning is actually the top way to prevent heat-related illness. And they may not have it, and they may not have access to it. Some cities across the U.S. and some communities across the U.S. have done a really good job of creating cooling centers where people can go to cool off. Making sure the community knows that these facilities are available, or a mall, or other things that people can access publicly and and for free. Making sure that the community knows that these are available is very important, because some will stay at home and deal with it, and particularly our elders. Um, We need to certainly make sure to check on our neighbors. For me, I've never seen myself as an environmentalist. Mm -hmm. So I didn't think I had skin in the game until I saw all the justice issues. Yes. And so, like, I like what you're saying, that, like, yes, there are things that we can do to address climate change, but there's very practical, in-the-moment stuff we can do, but that the upside, too, is it builds community. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And building community is great for our health all around, not just in terms of climate change, but in terms of our overall health. People that are more connected have longer life expectancy. So if in the climate change movement we can build um, more resilient communities by more connected communities, I'm all for it. 
Now, I know that there hasn't been a lot of studies yet done, but they're in the works around mental health and climate yes. change. Mm -hmm. But one thing that they've definitely seen is marginalized communities, indigenous communities mm -hmm. who are already stressed, right. that the added stress of extreme weather creates a lot of distress, and they're seeing an uptick of suicides, of drug addiction, mm -hmm. and substance abuse, and that they're even saying that after a traumatic event, of an extreme weather, the effects can last for years. It's awful. Absolutely awful. You, are, are there any best practices yet out there for mental health practitioners to, to what to do in a time of climate change, of how to address this kind of climate change-induced mm -hmm. emotional distress? Mm -hmm. Well, one problem is that mental health conditions are marginalized. And so these conditions aren't necessarily part of the mainstream discussions, and people tend to shun mental health as, oh, they just need to better handle their emotions. So one, stopping the marginalization of that will help a lot. Getting this conversation out more in the front, front, forefront will help a lot. I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked about the mental health impacts of climate change and seeing shock on people's faces. But then when they think about Hurricane Katrina and the media coverage and what they saw and what people were exposed to and how that would have lasting mental health impacts, our director, Dr. Terry Wright, frequently tells us a story about children that were affected by Hurricane Katrina and how now every time a storm warning comes on TV, they're showing post-traumatic stress effects because they're expecting to see something like Hurricane Katrina all over again. So addressing this is very important. Getting these conversations out more in the open is in the forefront and not shaming people about the mental health impacts. Although I'm in public health, and I, APHA is the voice for public health, physicians are often the first responders when it comes to any of the climate change health impacts, because physicians are likely to see their patients once or more a year. And physicians may want to take some time to evaluate this about their patients or inform this of their patients. If they're in a community that has gone through some severe traumatic climate event, a tornado or a hurricane or superstorm, for example, when the patient's back in, following up with them on how this has impacted them mentally as well as physically, of course, as well. This is an exciting time to be in the field of climate change. Certainly not exciting that climate change is happening, but there is much opportunity and many gains. And simply over the past year, attention towards this as a health outcome has really ramped up, starting with the Lancet report last year. And then the Pope said, you know, this is a moral issue. Clean water was a huge opportunity. Imagine the years of life expectancy that we've gained from having clean water. Think about our life expectancy before vaccination and after. And so now we have climate change and we've got this great opportunity and we can help improve health, extend lives, and improve quality of life by addressing it. It's a win-win at the end of the day. We just need to highlight the benefits of addressing climate change. I'm so grateful for Natasha's words and the wisdom that she shared. But before I end this section, I have one other voice I'd like to bring into the conversation. A few years ago at the Citizens Climate International Conference, I heard Dr. Jalan White Newsom speak about environmental justice, or EJ for short. 
Recently, at the Pennsylvania Interfaith Power and Light Annual Conference, I heard Dr. White Newsom speak again. Her entire talk was excellent, and I wish I could share it with you. Sadly, the recording was not so excellent. It was flu season, and with all the coughing, you would think that we were in a 1930s tuberculosis ward. Still, there is one section of the talk that I want you to hear, because in it, Dr. White Newsom speaks about resiliency. I'm going to give you some academic definitions of resilience. And so FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, they define resilience as the ability to adapt to changing conditions and rapidly recover from disruption. All right. The American Psychological Association, a little bit different, describes resilience as a rubber band. So if you imagine a rubber band, you pull it, put stress on it, but normally if it's a good rubber band, it bounces back. So that's the way they think about resilience. At the foundation at Kresge, we define resilience as this comprehensive, integrated approach to making sure we're adapting the climate, that we're mitigating climate, and also building social cohesion, so building tight networks of people that can protect and, and do for each other. And so at Kresge, we don't believe that folks should just kind of bounce back like that rubber band. We believe that people should actually bounce forward. So when we talk about resilience, it's about building stuff better than the way you built it before not just the same way, so you're doing the same stuff, right? You know, I really like that concept, this bouncing forward, and I think that's true for those of us who do climate work, that there's a need to bounce forward. Well, I'm very grateful to Natasha Desjarnet from the American Public Health Association and for Dr. Jalan White-Newsom from the Kresge Foundation. I'd love to hear your thoughts about health and climate change. Feel free to send me your comments, radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. into a therapy for not just me but for many people and that's what people see and that's what they hear when they experience my work the whole album is not about the environment there are three or four songs that specifically speak to the environment but there's songs about post-traumatic stress disorder there's songs about immigration there's songs speaking to various topics that we need to heal together and if we don't have those conversations together about the systemic issues and possible systemic solutions, then this, then they will just continue indefinitely. Fire in Town 
is generally a metaphorical song for for climate change. There's a fire in town. We won't let it burn us down. We have to work together right now and we're we're just not gonna there's no other option. The album came out of me a little bit before I started school and and that's really been a fun creative outlet for my feelings around climate change. Sometimes we just need to feel what we're feeling and and express that. And the album has been pulling the whole thing along very nicely since then. Fronteras is a song that was born of listening to NPR on my way to my corporate job. And I started listening to how there were riots happening at the San Diego border because there were all of these Central American people that had been trying to immigrate here via Mexico. And, you know, you hear the story, you know, that there's all these gangs and there's violence and there's crime. And that's why people are leaving Central America. What's really going on? Is it really the crime that's driving these people away? And if so... Why are they, why is there more poverty now than there was before? So I started investigating. Well, Central America is going through an, a horrible extended drought period. And as a result of that, they're not able to grow food. And can you imagine all of a sudden you don't have food and you don't have water? I mean, and you don't have the resources to necessarily pick up and immigrate legally or, you know, hop on an airplane. Um, of course you're going to move. I mean, we are animals after all. Any reasonable animal would say, oh, goodness, the lake is drying up. I think I'm going to go migrate westward or northward in this case. And I, I just think it's inhumane that, that we riot in these situations. But I think that there's a way to support, you know, this type of um, humanitarian crisis besides blaming them for having crime, you know, and difficulty. I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy I do what's right All the wells are going dry, dry they say But not tonight These walls make us look like pawns in a shop They're in high I've been around a thousand years And I might stay here and fight I cannot cross you I dare not cross you Art is the single best vehicle and always has been 
for not only reflecting the times, as, as I've heard many, many great people say, but also for reflecting on the times and, and inspiring people to think differently about these times and how they can participate. So I see art as being a huge aspect of the solution and music. And as long as that's coupled with, you know, with communication and, you know, science and technology and the other types of policy solutions, the culture is what keeps the conversation going. It's what keeps us talking about the weather. It keeps us talking about, you know, the deeper issues. And as long as we're willing to face those deeper issues together, I am completely confident that we can solve our climate dilemma. You know that it's coming. I wanted something kind of cheeky and fun because climate change is such a heavy topic. In the beginning, it's almost like I'm talking to a lover or someone. Like, I really I have something I want to tell you. Maybe I have a crush on you. And then it explodes into, I want to talk about the weather with you. Like, if you can't talk about climate change with me, then I can't be with you. You know, that's kind of the implied number. What if you say no? Let's talk about the weather.
Many thanks to Ashley Mazanik for sharing her music and some of her vision with us here at Spirit in Action. To hear more of Ashley's music, visit her website, ashleymazanik.com. Let me spell that out for you. Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y, Mazanik, M-A-Z-A-N-E-C, ashleymazanik.com. Or just Google the words, Ashley, let's talk about the weather. You will find her. Ashley is holding regular monthly events that bring together other eco-artists. She also tours and tells me she will have her own podcast very soon. This episode of Spirit in Action was produced by me, Peterson Toscano. All of the music we use on the show is licensed unless otherwise specified. If you like what you hear, you can listen to full episodes of Citizen Climate Radio at Northern Spirit Radio. The show is also available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Podbean. If you want to contact me, my email is radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. Thanks, and join Mark next week for another episode of Spirit in Action. Thanks to Peterson Toscano of Citizens Climate Radio for sitting in for me today for Spirit in Action. What a talented, motivated, and creative host. Gives me something to aspire to. And I'll be back next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice.